0: Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at homepage at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see all of you. Thank you. I am back in the land of the living, is what I call y'all. Um, I was down with COVID uh, last couple weeks. I got kicked in the proverbial shin with it. And um, I'll tell you this right now, I didn't care for it. I'm just gonna put it out there. (laughs) Like I'm giving it a one star out of five. (laughs) Um, I felt worse for sure, but it wasn't um, real fun. So I'm back. Um, I've been in quarantine or isolation for a number of weeks now, Um, almost two. I missed a wedding. My friend Joe and Megan got married last weekend. Congratulations. (laughs) Do you want to say anything? Shut up. Anyways, no, we, we love Joe and Megan. And um, I was slated to actually perform the ceremony. And uh, my wife had to call Joe on Saturday morning and said, hey, are you around Megan? Can you step away from Megan just for a minute? I, I have to tell you something that's not real good. And Joe's like, oh, my God, Jeff died. <laughs> And uh, no, just that I was sick and I missed your weddings, your nuptials, but I'm glad you guys are married and um, I'm glad you're back. So anyways, um, I have the privilege of finishing... Um, a study in Joshua chapter six today. So if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to put your your finger right there at Joshua chapter six. I'm going to spend most of my time there kind of tidying up that story that Josh started last week. Um, I'll jump to a couple other Old Testament books as well and maybe just throw a couple things off uh, memory. Um, But if you were here last week, Pastor Josh talked about um, the conquest of Jericho, which is where Joshua, right, leading God's people, the Israelites, um, after having crossed the Promised Land and all that, or, or the the Jordan River, they're in the Promised Land now, and they're making their way to start pushing out the Canaanites, which is what God said the Israel was going to do. They're going to push the people out or dispossess the people that were in the land. And the first city they run into is a city called Jericho. And so Josh last week told that sort of Bible story story where uh, the people of Israel took the Ark of the Covenant and some trumpets and with praise, they marched around the city, right? One time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. They blew the trumpets and they all shouted. And you guys know this story, right? And the walls fell down. God performed this miracle on Israel's behalf. They didn't have to break a sweat really or at all and the walls to the city come crashing down and and Josh did a great job of reminding us that when we go forward in praise in our daily lives Right. When the Lord is with us, uh, regardless of circumstance or enemy that might be before us, like Jericho was an enemy to Israel. If God is with us and he's inhabiting our praise and if we have faith to believe that he can do things on our behalf, God does mighty, miraculous things. Yes, it was a wonderful message. And then Josh ended. But I'm going to read a passage <laughs> that uh, most scholars um, called the difficult passage in the Bible. Now, don't get ahead of me, right? I'm going to get there in a minute. But I want, I want you to know the passage I'm going to read actually caused a, a woman by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hare to stop believing in God. Madeline Murray O'Hare, some of you might know the name. She was a, an American activist. She's since passed away. She actually died brutally. She was kidnapped and, and murdered. Terrible thing. But she was an atheist and she formed the American Atheist Society and she was responsible for bringing a case before the Supreme Court um, back in the early sixties. Her son, I think Jonathan was a student at the Baltimore public school system at the time. And she thought it was unconstitutional that her son um, not believing in God had to recite Bible passages and pray in school. And so she took a, um, her case to court. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled that it was, in fact, unconstitutional for the public school systems to mandate prayer and Bible reading in schools. Okay? So she's the one that we thank for that, right? <laughs> if that's a thing. But here's the weird thing about Madeline O'Hare. She, she wasn't always an atheist. In fact, it was later in her life, she was being interviewed by a pastor, and it was actually the pastor of the church that she attended when she was a young child. When she was a young child, she attended a Presbyterian church in her hometown. And the pastor ran into her many years later in her life, and he asked her the question Why did you walk away from the faith? You know, it wasn't that I've, I thought I taught you better than that. But it was like, you know, what was it that caused you to walk away from your faith? And she said two things, two reasons. I'll tell them to you now. The first was this. She said, the first thing that drove me away from belief in God was, was hypocritical Christians. Okay, so look at me. Raise your hand. <laughs> Who's a hypocritical Christian in the room here? right? Thank you. Yes. All the honest people in the room. Yes. Well done. Welcome. You can come late. It's fine. Yes. We're all hypocritical Christians, which just means this, that we, we say things, right? And we believe things and we don't act upon those things sometimes. And it's not saying we're perfect. Just know this, the church isn't supposed to be filled with perfect people, right? If this church was perfect, it was perfect until you showed up. I'll just throw that out there for you, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right, and the perfect, I mean, the church isn't a place for perfect people. It's for people who are imperfect, being transformed by Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit, living in a way that honors God, et cetera, et cetera. And we're making our way towards eternity with them. That's kind of what it is. But for her, that was almost enough to say, I don't want to follow this God these people profess to believe in because they act one way on Sunday and a completely different way in the club on Friday. Anyone? So that was one thing. The other thing she said is she actually embarked on a journey one uh, weekend when she was a young girl where she decided to do something that most Christians, I would argue, have not done before. She was going to read her Bible from the beginning to the end. Right now, I've read every word in the Bible. I'm certain of it. I mean, I don't check them off as I read them, but I don't know that I've actually ever done that. Start at the beginning and end at the end. Has anyone ever done that before? Right? Well, as she was doing that, she said this about the things that she read. She had never seen more God ordained cruelty and even genocide as she was reading through many portions of the Old Testament. In fact, she had a very difficult time trying to reconcile the God of the Old Testament with Jesus in the New Testament. Has anyone ever heard language like that before? Um, These are real topics and these are real things that we have to address. And this was enough for her to walk away from her faith. Now we're going to spend some time reading some of those passages that, that made her think that God was maniacal, genocidal, homicidal, egotistical. She, we're going to read some of those passages that made her walk away from her faith. And the reason we're spending time here is because I think 2020, if it's done anything for us, it's for me, it has shown that a lot of people's faith wasn't really in the true God of the Bible. What I'm learning is is through this year, all the things that they seem to believed in and said they've believed in for the past, who knows, year, decade, or whatever, when 2020 came and kicked everyone really, really hard, a lot of people have fallen away. Do you know anyone who's fallen away? Maybe not like like... I don't know, they're out murdering people now. Is that what people do when they stop being Christians? I have no idea, right? I hope not. I hope that's not what we do. But you know what I'm talking about? The people who seem to be so in devoted, and all of a sudden now just don't seem to be so connected. I, I know people like that all the time, right? This year I've been thinking about them. I have a lot of friends of mine who've been telling me they, they have, they're not coming back to church because of COVID, right? I totally get that. The problem I have with it is they're lying to me, That's not why they're not coming back. That's a great excuse to tell me while they're not coming, why they're not coming back. But it's not the real reason. And I I say that because um, people who know them and follow them on Facebook say, Jeff, they do everything, right? I see them every week doing a whiskey crawl here. You know, (laughs) they're doing something at the club here. They're going out of state here. They're posting pictures from dinner here. They're at a Halloween costume party, right? And they're just not coming to church. Now, and that's fine. Like it doesn't, like, I don't care. I I care as a pastor, but I don't care. I'm just saying this, that there's a real opportunity for you and I, starting now, to get a real strong grip on what the Bible says who God is. And we have to do so by looking at very difficult and challenging passages, like the ones I'm going to read for you now. So after Joshua marches around the city seven times, blow the trumpets, they shout, the walls come crashing down. Yay! We tuck John, Johnny into bed night, night, sweetheart, see you in the morning. And we end the Bible story there, but it doesn't end there in the Bible. And if you look with me in Joshua chapter 6, verse 21, we read this. Then they, the Israelites, devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. They killed everyone inside of the city. Skip down to verse 24. And to make sure, I added that, right? (laughs) They then burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron, they were put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Well, it seems like God cares more about silver and gold than he does about people. And you skip down to the final verse of chapter 6, verse 27, and then it says, And so the Lord was with Joshua, (laughs) and his fame was in all the land. What a terrible, terrible story. And you can imagine why some people read that at a cursory level. A very simplistic understanding could lead us to believe that God is genocidal, that God is maniacal, that God used his people to murder off a whole people group called the Canaanites, and he started so in Jericho. But it's not really what took place. In fact, when we look at what happened in the conquests of the promised land, the land of Canaan, particularly reading through the book of Joshua, we find challenging passages like this, But we can learn so much about who God is. See, most readers imagine that God commissioned his nation, the Israelites, to vengefully wipe out an entire nation of Canaanite men, women, and children. And at first glance, it looks like that's what's taking place. But that's not what's taking place. See, it requires us to lean in a little further into what this Bible is actually telling us. And it requires us to do heavy lifting. And most people don't want to do that type of lifting. But I'm here to tell you, if we don't embark on that type of heavy lifting, if we don't start spending the calories to really understand what this Bible is saying, at any moment, a college professor who's smarter than they think they are is going to tell you, what you don't know about your God, and you're going to fall away from faith. Or a coworker is finally going to get to you because the the, the Jesus you follow is not a Jesus he would ever follow. Or or something's going to happen in your life, and because you're not rooted in the truth of what the Scripture is saying, you have the probability of falling away. Listen, I've done this long enough to know. I've done this long enough to know. It happens all the time. So to be very f- uh, honest, I don't care to pastor a church that's thin and shallow. I don't. Um, I like fun church. Who likes fun church, right? But sometimes fun church... <laughs> Thank you. I got an amen. <laughs> um, it, it just... Fun church is great, and I think you can have fun and still do some of this heavy lifting. So so let's look at some of these passages that are challenging, and I think when we do so, we're going to realize that um, the scope of destruction, right? At cursory read, it looks like he killed everyone, right? Right? Um, and if you read the Old Testament, it looks like they, you know, annihilated an entire people group, the Canaanites. That's actually not what happened. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. The scope of destruction, which is much smaller than initially thought. Um, the reasons for the conquest. The re- there's reasons why God is driving out the Canaanite people and out of the land. And we'll get to that. They're very complex. We have to understand them. And all the while, God's mercy was continually on display throughout the entire conquest here we'll see the lengths of God's patience and his grace and his compassion towards people who are um, terribly wicked, right? The Canaanite people, which we'll see in a moment. But we'll see God's mercy Uh, through all of this. So my goal is that this would not be a stumbling block for us, that when we read these difficult passages, that we go, oh my gosh, I thought Jesus was nice. Doesn't he say, love your enemies? And here God's killing everyone in the Old Testament. My goal is to not be a stumbling block, but just a reminder of God's mercy and patience and grace. So let's pause and pray real quick. God, open our eyes to see Jesus constantly said that. He who has eyes to see, let him see. Or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, we ask to have eyes to see and ears to hear. What is really happening? We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So let's just jump in. The scope of the destruction is actually much smaller than the cursory read gives us. Um, It's just a real bad reading of the text. Now, We know that the Bible in the Old Testament continually has God saying to his people, Israelites, I want you to drive out all of the Canaanites. I want you to destroy all of the Canaanites. And he says that multiple times. But historically, we know that did not happen. They actually did not do the thing God asked them to do. And it came back to bite them later because they didn't fully remove all of the Canaanites. It caused problems for them later that we read about in the Bible. So now we have this sort of tension. It looks like there might be conflicting stories in the Bible. Right. And what do we do with those things? Well, what if they're actually not conflicting stories? What if they're not contradictions? Even though God said to drive everyone out to to get rid of them all or kill them all, they didn't do that. So now we have two different stories. What if there's actually not contradictions, but there's something else at work here? Now, to do that, we have to just remind ourselves that this Old Testament is written in a language that probably you or I do not read or write. It's called Hebrew. Any Hebrew scholars in the room? Okay, and that's okay, nor am I, but just know that that originally was written in Hebrew to a group of people thousands of years ago, and, and they write it in ways culturally a little bit differently than we might fully understand just at a simple reading. It's possible, scholars believe, that this language, as we read here in verse 21, that they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, and oxen, sheep, and donkey, is actually militaristic hyperbole. It just means this. It's an exaggeration. It's, it's what militaries say and do when they conquer other nations to make other nations afraid of them. They totally wiped them out, bro. They destroyed everyone. Nothing was left living. You'll never believe it. You'll never believe how they routed them all. It's similar to language that we might use about sporting events today. For example, we might say something like this. Man, the Cubs really slaughtered the Cardinals. Well, we'd probably never say that. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I actually don't care. I'm just saying. But, right, we, we use that sort of hyperbole. Just, it's just an exaggeration that's taken place. It's possible, right? We, and I'm not saying none of these arguments are a full, safe understanding of all this. But it's possible that that is what's happening here. And if that's the case, that helps us a little bit. So the scope of destruction was much smaller, right? Right? Um, moving on, the reasons for displacing the people from the land were very complex. On the whole, we know this about the Canaanites, is they were a particularly, particularly wicked people, hear me, by anyone's standard, right? I mean, some of you people are pretty good. And you, you have the one neighbor who's a moron, right? I get all that. But these people were way, way worse than even your neighbor, Bob, Okay. Um, If you want for extra credit, you can read in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, that's a fun read, Leviticus, right? Chapters 18, 19, and 20, and you will see a laundry list, so to speak, of all the things that God has uh, an issue with in the Canaanite people. I'll read a few of them for you here. The the people were so wicked, they were involved in all kinds of sexual immorality, incest, bestiality. They were into idolatry, worshiping false gods. And during some of their worship um, services, um, they would offer their children on an altar of fire to the god Molech. So for a moment, let's remind ourselves that these are not just innocent peasants. Like in a city, and all of a sudden the marauding Israelites come through with a sword to just chop them to pieces. That is not at all. They're they're not innocent at all in any of this. They're terribly wicked people. In in hopes of um, offering their children on an altar of fire, they're hoping to bring rain for their crops. Who who makes that trade? What kind of a person makes that trade? Well, you don't know my kids, Jeff. I'm just saying. (laughs) You thought it. I just said it. I'm just... But there's something inherently wicked about the people. And it's not go... I don't want us to understand that it was just the Canaanites that were wicked people, too, or, or problem people. In fact, there's a moment in Deuteronomy chapter 9 where God actually speaks to his own people, the Israelites. And he says this in Deuteronomy 9, chapter 5. I'm not taking you into the land. It's not because of your righteousness, he says, or your uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So he even has an issue with the Israelites. It seems like God has an issue with everyone who disobeys his commands. right? We're all sinful people, right? We could imagine God would take an issue with our sin in our lives. But what he's doing is he's driving those people out because of their wickedness. This was not genocide. This was not God picking one clan, one people group, and driving and killing out another people group because he liked them better. He didn't care for either, honestly. But he was doing so because God is perfect and holy and just, and he's dealing with the wickedness, the wickedness of the people. Now, is this, is this making sense a little bit? Okay, so, so that's what's happening here. And the conquest was more about ending the Canaanites' religious and cultural practices than ending their lives. That's what this is about. God is not going to allow the worship of Molech to continue where babies are continued to be sacrificed. The problem wasn't the people, but their idolatry. So God comes to judge them. That's a complex understanding of that. And another complex part of this is about the land itself itself. God was driving them out of the land because the land was going to become God's residence on earth. Now, we know God lives in heaven. We know that. But biblically, it also teaches teaches us that God dwells on the earth. We see it in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve? And God would come to them in the cool of the day. God dwelled in Eden. We see it in the tabernacle when God would meet with Moses in the tent of meeting. And we see it played itself out even in the temple. When the temple is eventually built in Jerusalem, God would come and dwell there. So God does take up residence on the earth at some point. And Canaan, the land of Canaan, the promised land, was the place where God desired to dwell. And he was removing the people out of the land because the land had been defiled. And he needed to cleanse the land. And I don't say this on my own understanding. I find this reading the Bible. Look at Leviticus chapter 18, verse 25. God is telling the Israelites, the land, the promised land, has become unclean so that I punished its iniquity. And then the land vomited out its inhabitants. Do you think the land really vomited out the people? Right? Hyperbole again here. Exaggeration here. That's what we're learning. So the people had to be dealt with. The land had to be dealt with. But make no mistake, through all of this that is taking place, God's mercy and his patience was on display continually. Continually. In fact, at any moment, should any of the Canaanites choose not to follow Molech, not to serve other gods, and to serve Israel's God, they would be spared as well. And we see that taking place in this story, in Joshua chapter 6, when the city is laid laid siege and set on fire and all the people have been killed, there were some people that were saved. Let me read those verses to you. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua tells these two men, go into the prostitute's house and bring out there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. Backstory I'll get to in a moment. Keep reading verse 23. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab. You've heard of her and her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. It was like Thanksgiving, I guess, at her house. And everyone happened to be there. And the spies go in, grab Rahab and all of her families just before verse 24, and they set the city on fire. She was spared. Now, why was she spared? Well, verse 25 tells us. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, here's the backstory story that you need to understand. All the while, God is leading his people, freeing them from bondage and slavery in Egypt and wandering them through the desert for some 40 years and taking them into the promised promised land. God's great power, his strength, and his might has been on display for all the world to witness. It says that God would lead his people by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. Could you imagine just looking out your window and seeing this Lightning bolt fire flame thing moving around the desert for 40 some years, wondering to yourself, what on earth is that? When God parted the Red Sea and all of uh, his people were able to cross over on dry ground and when the egyptian army followed in hot pursuit god closed the waters and drowned all of them that story the renown of that story traveled through all the area all the nations knew that story so when joshua was just about to lay a, begin his conquest and he's about to send people into jericho to do battle he sends a couple spies in there And the spies go into the city, they stay with Rahab, they're spying out the land, and all of a sudden, the king of Jericho finds out that Israel has two spies in the city. And he comes knocking on their door with soldiers to find those spies. And Rahab hides them. She hid them so they couldn't be caught. And she tells them, oh, they fled away yesterday. If you you hurry, you'll catch up with them. And spared their lives. And because of that, they said, when we come back to destroy the city, we'll save you. Too, right? But it was more than just her saving the spies. She was actually serving God's, God God she, she began to believe in the God of the Israelites. And I only say that because of what the Bible says in Joshua chapter two, verse 11. There's a whole lot of Bible verses. It's important to read these. Look at this, verse 2:11. And as soon as we heard it, this is Rahab talking to the spies. As soon as we heard it, what is the, it she's talking about? Talking about when God closed up the Red Sea and, and, right, and drowned all the Egyptians. And we, when we saw God do this thing with the Jordan River and stopped up the overflowing river so that we could cross into the promised land. As soon as we saw all of these things, she's saying, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then she says these words, for the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Because God's great power was on display, Rahab came to faith. Because God was so patient with his people, she had the opportunity to see God for who he really was. See, another backstory, I'm telling you, this thing is layers deep, layers deep, and a simple understanding. Reading looks like this. God killed a bunch of people, old people, young people, women, children, even killed donkeys. What's up with donkeys? Donkey never hurt nobody. What's this about, right? You have no idea what's happening with just a simple reading. But if you go deeper and deeper and deeper, you see that the iniquity of the people that lived in Canaan were there back when Abraham was alive, 400 and some years before this moment. And God even says, Abraham, I'm giving you a promised land, but there are people living there, but their iniquity, their sin has not yet reached its full to me. Which just means this. God says, my patience is not run out on them yet. My patience will continue. In fact, a friend of mine texted me today after the nine o'clock service, and he said this, Jeff, there's a reason why the Ark of the Covenant has has a mercy seat sitting on the top of it, because God is filled with mercy. But hear me, but his mercy does not last forever. Judgment comes. In the New Testament, we read this, that it is appointed unto a man once to die and then face what? judgment. You and I have not escaped judgment. We will face judgment for our, for our lives. The fortunate thing for us is that we have Jesus Christ and we can stand before God in that moment of judgment and we can stand on our laurels or our merits, the things we've done, all the good things we've done, the recycling, taking care of pets and all of that stuff, right? right? Or we can stand before God in, in what Jesus has done for us. Because if you're real honest with yourself, the things that you do when no one's watching, that's enough to disqualify you from God's presence. It just is. The things you think about when you don't want to think about them. (laughs) But because of Jesus, because Jesus, the Son of God, has come... And he's willing to lay down his life on our behalf, that God will send his punishment upon his own son, Jesus, so that we don't have to be punished. So then when we breathe our last and step into eternity, we can step through into the eternal life because of Jesus, because Jesus has taken our punishment for us. Now, this is a big deal. Would you agree? Or not? It doesn't matter to me. It's a big deal for us. God's patience doesn't last forever. It didn't last forever here. 430 years after God promised the land to Abraham, his patience had run out. And he sent his people in to judge the wicked. And he sent his people in to judge the land. And they purged them out. And God came and he made his dwelling there. He established his people there. They established their kingdom there. They put the the temple there. Right? And, and, And his son Jesus was born there. To save the entirety of humanity for those that would believe. Do you see how that's a little more complicated than just verse 21, and it killed a bunch of people, even the donkeys? Right? Sucks to be a donkey in the Old Testament, I'm just saying. But this is helpful to us. And this is helpful because there will come a day when someone will tell you that the God of the Old Testament is cruel. And you'll go, no, he's not. Let me tell you the story of Rahab. See, here's the beautiful thing. Rahab's story continues long beyond the Old Testament. If you flip into the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, it's a book called Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? In Matthew, the very first chapter of Matthew, it goes through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Right? All the people from Abraham, 14 generations to David, David, 14 generations to the captivity, 14 generations to Jesus, whatever this was. And in the middle of all that genealogy, guess who's listed there? Rahab. Isn't that cool? She's not even Jewish, but she had faith to believe in the Israelite God and God spared her, had compassion and mercy upon her. And she is included in the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the same can be said for you and I, that you and I can be included in God's family through Jesus Christ. And this is maybe that time where I have to get kind of preachery on you and just remind you that um, God's patience only goes so far. Right? At some point, you're going to breathe your last and stand before him. And we have to stand before him with Jesus Christ our savior, instead of on our own works. So um, that was kind of heavy, I feel okay with it. I've gone a little long, um, but I could say some more if you guys want me to keep talking, it's up to you guys. Should we flip a coin? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired, I'm gonna stop. So um, I do wanna pray for us though. I wanna pray for us, I wanna pray for, um, I wanna pray for us in the room who've struggled this year. I mean, really struggled. Like our faith has really been tested. Um, I had a moment right before the nine o'clock service. I was backstage, and I don't remember what song we were singing. I'm I'm gonna cry thinking about it. Um, I don't know what song we were singing, but something like like God took a lightning bolt of faith, and he just like just shoved it into my heart because this year's been incredibly hard for me. Can I get real with you for a moment? Um, last night it was, um, five something. This is my new normal, by the way. Uh, Saturday night, the texts start rolling in. Um, Hey, so-and-so is not feeling well and they don't think they can make it to church. So we got to get someone to replace him. And then so-and-so can't make it because they're not feeling well and their dad's got COVID and, and so all the texts coming in, so all the people that was going to run service on Sunday, they're now falling off like dead flies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting in like my office here last night about 6.30 or so, whatever time it was, and I have to make the decision, sh- do, we, do we cancel church tomorrow? Do we cancel church tomorrow? Now, guess what you guys weren't thinking about last night at 6.30? Guess what you weren't thinking about? Should we have church or not? It ain't even on your radar, <laughs> is it? Be honest. Is it? It's, it's my life now. Every moment, every, it's like everything I think about is tied to COVID somehow and whether or not I'm going to put a bunch of people at risk because I'm, because I want to continue to have church. I don't, I don't want to have to have church. I'll have church. I don't care. It's fine. I don't want anyone to get sick. And so all that to say is, like, this is one aspect of, of my life that 2020 has just laid on me is so challenging. Like, I, I, I can barely get through. So all that to say, I'm backstage. They're singing a song. I have no idea. And God places this, like, lightning bolt of faith inside of me. And it, I just begin to tear up. Like, I need God to intervene. I need to know God is real, and he's not just some fairy that I put my faith in 24 years ago, and it's worked for me this far. I might as well keep going with it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I need to know God is real. No matter what happens in my life, from this day forward, I am secure in Jesus Christ. I want that kind of faith. I don't want the other kind of faith. I don't want the faith of people who... Have fallen away. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know people like that? Um, but I got to be honest with you. To get to that place requires a whole lot of what we just did this morning. Like we got to really look in the scriptures. We got to understand our Bibles. <laughs> and it's going to suck, right? It's going to be hard some days. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. Oh, five years from now, when your life flips upside down for something else, you'll be so secure because of the work that we're going to put in now. Um. Hmm. All right. I think. Yeah. God, you, you see... The weak faith. It doesn't anger you. It doesn't frustrate you, Lord. We were singing earlier there's no mountain too big, right? God, you're mighty. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our little faith. If we bring what we have to Him, He will supplement that with His Holy Spirit and He will grow us and we'll be so strong and secure. Would you bow your heads? Um, Would you raise your hand if you want to be secure in the things of God? Just raise your hand. I'm not, no one's looking at you. And if they are, stop looking. Right? Who wants to grow up in their faith? Who wants to have a faith that's secure? God, look at the hands in this room. We want to be people who really, really know you. We're not dissuaded by some new atheistic idea that God is somehow cruel. The, The scriptures doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that to us. If we look deeper, we will find you in there. And you are compassionate. You are merciful. You are kind. You are also holy. And you will also judge. But we know that you are good, God. God, be with us the rest of our time this morning. Be with us as we... Um, Let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts, even of the things that uh, we're, we're talking about today. God, if our faith is weak, you can bolster it. In Jesus' name, I pray you can bolster our faith. You can strengthen us, Lord God. We are your people. We belong to you. We trust your son, Jesus. He is our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the work that he does on our behalf. God, change our lives. Make us strong, Lord. We bring we bring what we have, Lord. We bring it to you. And we're asking you to do something with it, Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.